We're finishing the series on gospel fire this evening. We've been in the book of Acts for the last two months. The book of Acts is an incredible book, talking about the explosion and the birth of the early church as person after person encountered Jesus. And what happened is it started with a small group of disciples huddled together, meeting together. And then as persecution came, they exploded all over the known world. And they took the gospel with them and they lived courageous lives. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, and it could have been known as the acts of the Holy Spirit. Because again, there was an encounter after encounter. And this evening we're going to be looking at a passage in Acts 16. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, it'd be great. But today my message is really simple, and it's this. We're going to look at how the gospel is for everybody and how everyone needs the gospel. Sounds a bit too simple sometimes, doesn't it? But it's really how radically different people come to put their faith in Jesus. Um, Around this room... Just amazing stories. I don't know whether you've ever sat down with a group of Christians, and I think we often start small groups like this when a, when a group's getting to know each other, and we just share the stories of how was it that you came to know Jesus? And as we sit here, do you know what? There will be some of you that are just exploring faith, but for most of you, you're going to be sitting there. And if I said, oh, you know, how did God meet you? And you'd be able to tell me this unique and beautiful story of what the Lord's done in your life. And it won't be just one moment, because the danger sometimes is we, we tell the story up to the point of, and then I met Jesus. Do you know what? It continues at that point. That's the beginning of the story. It's not the end of the story. I had this one encounter. Do you know what? As you begin to tell the story of faith, and this is what Jesus did here, and this is where Jesus spoke here, and this is, it goes on. That's the beautiful thing, is that our testimony becomes richer with time. It becomes more beautiful more profound. Do you know what? Last Sunday, two people gave their lives to the Lord. I think we could be a bit more excited about that. Last Sunday, two people gave their lives to the Lord. All right. Not bad. Um, If I stood up next week and said, 100,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. No, no, no. Do you know what? It's a beautiful thing, people giving their lives to the Lord. One was a child in our kids' group last Sunday, gave their life to the Lord. It's beautiful. In the evening service, a guy came up and he was like, I want to give my life to Jesus. So two people came into the kingdom last Sunday. Do you know, every time that we meet as a church, I hope there's the expectation that God is going to move and people are going to come to faith. We don't want to be this holy huddle of people. The door is always open. I hope we have a massively wide front door to say, you are welcome. This is a place where you can come and meet Jesus because he is beautiful and he's worthy. And we would love you to know him. How does it happen, though? How do people come to know the Lord? Are there certain types of people that are more likely to know him than others? Do you know what? Sometimes we have this feeling in our lives that God could never break into that person's life. I don't know whether you've had that. There's some people in your life and you're like, oh, do you know what? God's never going to be able to do that. And do you know what? I really want to challenge you this evening by the passage of scripture that we're going to look at. I think that's rubbish. I think that's false. I think that the Lord can break into somebody's life at any moment of any day. 
We have no idea. The Lord is always moving and it only takes a moment for him to break into somebody's life. And sometimes the person that appears the furthest away is actually the closest. Sometimes it's like, they're never gonna, and then suddenly, bang, and the Lord breaks in. So we're gonna, yeah, Acts 16, verses 13 to 34. At the the heart of chapter three are three wonderful examples of how God changes three very, very different people. There's a woman, there's a girl, and there's a man. So it's a good start. There's gender and age diversity, and we love that. And there are three powerful examples of how God can work in such remarkably different ways, and yet at the same time bring people to the same Jesus through the same gospel. It's the same Jesus. It's the same gospel. That doesn't change, but it's how we come at it. So let's look at it. We start with a lady called Lydia, and this starts in verse 13 of chapter 16. It says this, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who'd gathered there, to the women who'd gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, and she was a worshipper of God. And do you know what? We learn a number of things straight away about this woman, Lydia. She was successful. She was a, she was a great businesswoman that she was from Thyatira, which is in Asia, although living in Macedonia. So she was Asian, and she dealt in purple cloth. You've got to love a bit of purple cloth. Who's in purple tonight? Great, none of you. So it's a strong color purple, isn't it? You've got to be quite a confident person to pull off purple. Um, Oh, no, I thought Matt had purple on then, but... Do you know what? The funny thing about purple is... It would have been a real luxury at the time, a real luxury. Apparently, it was really difficult to create the dye for purple. So purple was seen as a luxury, and only wealthy people could afford it. So Lydia sold beautiful clothes to beautiful people. She'd have been pretty well off. Basically, she'd have been like a woman who owned, owned a high-end boutique in Pontcana. Um, Pontcana is a very posh area of Cardiff. Quite posh, but she was not only a savvy businesswoman, but we're also told that she was a worshipper of God. Now, this is actually a technical term. This is a God-fearer. Now, the God-fearers were Gentiles who'd left their life before. It could have been paganism. It could have been polytheism. And they'd started reading the Bible and seeking the God of the Bible of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so, so Lydia's an impressive Lady, this is 2,000 years ago, and she's running an incredible business. So how does the gospel come to her? Well, it was on the Sabbath, and evidently on the Sabbath day, there was a group of women who were all God-fearers, who got together to pray and to read the Bible. So we've got a little Bible study going on, a prayer meeting, and it says of Paul, Silas, and Luke, we sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there. So it's basically like a small group. This wasn't a preaching moment. This was a small group of women who'd got together. And it would have been probably a bit of give and take discussion, not a one-way traffic like I'm doing now. You're sitting there and listening, poor you. But it would have been a low-pressure, rational discussion. And that's how the gospel came to Lydia. Look carefully, because here's what happened. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart. So in that moment, Bang, 
the gospel comes in. Now, the word respond is actually a word that means to be attracted to. In fact, there's one place in the Bible, in the, in the Greek New Testament, where it actually means to get addicted to wine. So what to respond actually means is she began to get attracted to what? Well, she didn't just believe, she began to find what Paul was saying wonderful. And she was a person who sold beautiful clothes to beautiful people, but she'd never seen a beauty like this. This was incredibly beautiful. So she gives her life to Jesus. And it says this in verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Do you know what's amazing is that last bit. So not only does she come to know the Lord, and then there's this moment where she's persuading them to come and stay with her. Not only was she baptized, but she said, I want my home to be a ministry center. That's what happened in that moment. She's like, I want to open my house. I want everybody to come and know. The ministry center was birthed in this moment. Probably a church was birthed in this moment. Bang. So that's the first one. We've got Lydia. We've then got this slave girl. The passage moves on into verse 16, and we come to another life, another person's life. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future and she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This is a fascinating person. First of all, do you know what? She's really young. That It says female slave, but the Greek word that's used there means not just a female slave, but a slave who is a girl. So this girl would have probably been aged between 10 and 14. This girl was young and she was incredibly vulnerable. Now, she could predict the future. The predictions that she made came true. I mean, there's no way that she would have made money off her owners unless the things that she said came true. So how does she hear the gospel? Look at verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Now, first of all, the word shouting means shrieking. It wouldn't have just been this gentle shouting. It would have been shrieking. Everywhere they went, this girl's coming along shrieking. But look what she's saying. She says, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Do you know what? The interesting thing is nobody knew anything about Christianity at this point. It's so early on in the story of the birth of the church. Nobody would really have met Christian missionaries before. So these guys have gone out with the gospel. This was a new concept at this time. But she knew who they were. She understood that they were ministers and she even knew that they were coming to tell the gospel. They know the true way. Look at that, telling you the way to be saved. So she is possessed by an evil spirit. Now, you might read that and be like, what the heck is that? What on earth are you talking about? Do you really, people, do you really believe that people can predict the future? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I do. I think that there's a kingdom of heaven and I think there's a kingdom of darkness. I'm convinced of it. I've seen enough things in my very short life thus far. Um, you don't need to laugh. Uh, I genuinely meant that. But do you know what? Just to give you a, a couple of small stories, I was, I was over in Norway about 10 years ago with a, with a ministry team. We'd gone to do a youth conference, and there was this beautiful time of worship where the Spirit of God just went poof in the room you know it was it was a profound time god was doing something in the room and this woman just started shrieking in the middle of it, much like this 
You know, I talked about it was more than shouting, it was shrieking. And this woman started shrieking. And it was a bad moment because everybody looked around and said, who's in charge? It's like, oh no, it's me. <laughs> oh no, Lord, take me now, I'm ready. Um, time for the rapture. <laughs> and they looked at me like I had a clue about what to do. So I looked calm, trust me. We just need to pray. <laughs> so anyway, we took, we took this lady, um, a number of us, and we just prayed for her. But this shrieking, and she was filled with an evil spirit. It was, it was as simple as that. And she, she spoke, this was a mid-twenties woman, um, very intelligent, but she spoke with a completely different voice. This, you, you know. And I still, I still remember it, and we prayed for her, and we prayed in the name of Jesus. Do you know what? Do I know that the spirit went? I'm not convinced. Do you know what I mean? In that moment, I think it was a stubborn one. But I've seen moments. There was another moment when I was, um, I was working in my previous church. Um, I was quite, quite young at, at the point, and I was in the church office, and a phone call came in from a family that weren't a part of the church, and they phoned the church office, and they said, um, we are seeing some crazy stuff happen in our house. Could you send somebody around to pray? We've heard that you're a church. Would you come around? There's some ghosts in the house. There's some stuff going on. So again, it was a, okay, I guess it's me. Um, only one way to learn in this life. And so I went around, just prayed around that house, anointed the house with oil, prayed in the name of Jesus. Didn't see anything particularly profound, but it was amazing because I bumped into the, uh, the family about a month later and they said, it's completely changed. It's completely changed, it's gone. Whatever you did, it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, but I guess I say all of this only to say I'm convinced that there's another side. We talk about the kingdom of heaven. We talk about the kingdom of light. We talk about the good things. But actually, it doesn't take much to look around this world and see the evil that's prevalent and going on. There is a kingdom of darkness. And when people mess with the occult, which is the other side, basically, there is power in it. I'm convinced there's power in it. I've seen it. So what's happening, you know, I think it's very easy as Western Christians just to sit there and think, oh, we've got this nice faith and we turn up. Do you know what? There is a spiritual confrontation going on daily between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. It's going on every day. We might not be aware of it, but it's bang, it's going on. There's this collision going on. And that's what's happening when we're praying, Lord, would you send heaven to earth? That's what we're praying for. Would the power of heaven break into this land? That's why we need to pray. We need to seek God and we need to say, you need to break in. I, I have nothing, but you have everything. So there's power in the name of Jesus. So she's possessed. You know who she is? She's like Gollum. That's what she's like. Let me explain. You might be like, not quite seeing that. She hates the light and she loves the light. That's what's going on. She's divided. She hates the truth and she loves the truth. She yearns for them and she's mad at them, which is where you are. If at, on the one hand, you know the truth on one level, but on the other level, you hate the truth because you're spiritually enslaved. So there's this battle going on in this woman. I know who you are. She's shrieking at them. I know that there's power in you. This is just like what we see with Gollum going on. So if Lydia's 
the owner of a high-end boutique for the rich people in Pontcana. This girl is like a drug-addicted prostitute who's being exploited by her pimps. She is enslaved both physically and spiritually, and she has no freedom. So how does the gospel come to her? Verse 18, she kept this up for many days, so she was running around shrieking. And then it says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, do you see that? Paul became so annoyed. This is an amazing moment. Read the scriptures, just drink it in. Paul was really irritated. Basically, Paul had had enough. I can't stand it anymore. I'm so annoyed by you. And he turned around and cast out the demon. You don't make this stuff up. This is not something that you'd make up. This is why C.S. Lewis, many of you will have heard of C.S. Lewis, but he was, I'm in the middle of reading his autobiography at the moment, and... um, It says this, anybody who reads the New Testament thinks these are just legends, shows they don't know how to read. He says, I've been reading legends and vision literature all of my life, and I want you to know when you read the New Testament, these are not legends, these are eyewitness accounts. This is a man who spent his whole life looking at ancient literature. And he's like, these are not legends, these are eyewitness accounts of what actually went on. He's so irritated, he says, I can't stand this. So he turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her command you to come out. Do you see how different these two examples are? What did Lydia need? Lydia needed a Bible study. Let's sit down. She was in a small group city. Let's, let's talk about Jesus. This girl gets a power encounter. This is the gospel. This is God breaking into her life because he's got to free her from slavery. She's enslaved. Lydia needs something very rational. This girl needed something incredibly powerful. This girl didn't just need a message of forgiveness. She needed a new Lord. She needed a new master. She needed something that could break through this slavery. He essentially looks at her and when he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. What he's doing is that he's talking about names because names were a a massive deal back then. Names are not just labels. If you changed your nature, you changed your name. So your name was your nature. What, he, what he's actually saying to the demon is, he's talking, he says, Jesus' name is greater than your name. Jesus' power is greater than your power. Get out. That's what's going on. Jesus is Lord. This is the proclamation, get out, because Jesus is Lord. So that's the second story. Lydia, then the slave And then we come to the third character, who's the the jailer. And the jailer was probably like the jailers, the most jailers at the time. He was a retired soldier and he would have been probably a Roman, doubtless a Roman. And he's a tough guy. And and he's a person who was not somebody Paul could just, you know, jump straight into talking about the gospel with. So, so, you know, Jesus. um, Paul didn't begin with this man by talking to him. He didn't begin to try and get the gospel across in words. He had to show the man the power of the gospel in his life. And so that's what he does. And the jailer sees two amazing things in Paul and Silas. That they, because just go back into the story, they are brutally flogged. Brutally flogged. And then they're kept in stocks. And the thing that you have to realize about stocks is we often, when we think about stocks, think about the person at the fairground that we're throwing sponges at. That's what we think about stocks. Stocks were excruciatingly painful because one of the things was that they kept your legs so far apart that you would cramp, that your whole body would cramp. 
So anybody that's been in the stocks, it was a horrific experience. And sometimes we read it and straight over the top. That's what it would have been like. And, and so this jailer, he's not going soft on them. He's giving them a really hard time. But what happens is he sees in the face of suffering, because Paul and Silas have suffered, they've been flogged, they've been in the stocks, they have gone through it. He sees peace and joy. And in the face of cruelty, he sees kindness and forgiveness. So first of all, when the jailer saw these men, he saw in their face, sorry, he saw in the face of suffering, peace and joy. Because it says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. So it's an amazing thing when you stop and think about it, isn't it? They're in the middle of intense suffering, intense persecution. What's their response? It's not to get quiet. It's to start singing songs and hymns and praising God. The verbs there in this passage mean that the other prisoners were fascinated, that they looked at them and they were like, wow, what is it about you? What's going on with you? They were riveted, they were listening, they were amazed. That's what it's actually saying. They, they weren't wailing, they weren't swearing, they're singing praises to God and everybody's amazed. And don't you doubt that the jailer saw that too? So not only the other prisoners, but the jailer would have watched the way that they responded in intense pressure and it would have, it would have spoken, it would have preached. So first of all, the jailer saw in the face of suffering joy and peace, but even more amazing in the face of cruelty, kindness and forgiveness. This man had been cruel to them. And here's what we see happening, verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. Now, we don't know where the jailer is at this point. He must have been nearby or maybe in the jail somewhere. But from his vantage point, he saw the prison doors open and he drew, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Why? Because if you were a prison warden or a jailer, if you lost your prisoner or if they escaped, the penalty was death. Here was a man who was... He would have been a man of honour in a, in a shame and honour culture. And he wasn't going to wait for execution. He wasn't going to wait for it to catch up. He was going to kill himself on the spot. So that's what's happening. The doors are open. He realises that the prisoner's gone. He's like, I'm going to kill myself. Now, Paul calls out because not only did Paul and Silas not leave, but they kept all the prisoners there as well. They were basically upholding the law. And the, the reason why the jailer calls for the lights and rushes in and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas is that he probably knew that he'd been unnecessarily cruel to them, that he'd tortured them and they had an opportunity, they had a payback moment. It's like they could have got back at him and all they had to do was walk out. They could have let everybody leave but he knew that they had saved his life. They knew he, sorry, he knew. He knew that they knew in spite of what had happened that they were not going to repay evil with evil. They overcame evil with good. They treated him with mercy. They treated him with kindness. They forgave him and he was amazed and he fell down trembling. Intuitively, the jailer understands this. He knows Paul and Silas have something that he doesn't have. He knows that they have a power that he doesn't have. Their ability to forgive shows that they have a connection to someone that he doesn't have. 
He saw the power of God in their lives. And secondly, he saw the power of God in the earthquake. So you've got these two things going on. Not only is it about the earthquake, because it is about the earthquake, and that is a power encounter moment. But this jailer has just had the most incredible example of faith. He's seen it. He's watched the way that they've responded. He's watched the way that they've been under persecution. He's watched the way that when the prison doors are open and they've stayed and they've had mercy on him. And so their lives have preached straight into his. And he comes running in and he's falling down. And he says this, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? How can, how can I be saved? I need this, God. I've seen the power of God in your lives because of the way in which you've handled suffering. How do I have a relationship with this God? What must I do? And he's banging on the door and he's saying, I need this, I need this. This is a massive step from where he was. That's what I'm talking about, an opportunity, a moment. This guy was so far away. Do you know what I mean? He was just a jailer. He probably wasn't even bothered about God at all. And within this whole incident, he's now on his knees saying, what must I do to be saved? How can I be saved? Acts 16 tells us about three people, Lydia, the businesswoman, the slave girl who's enslaved demonically and physically, the Philippian jailer who's unaware. They're three people that Jesus breaks into their lives. Do you know how different these people are? Think about this. Here's a list. Racially, Lydia was Asian, the slave girl was Greek, and he was a Roman. Economically, Upper-class Lydia, lower-class slave girl, middle-class jailer. Socially, one was a social insider, Lydia. One was a social outcast, the slave girl. One was sort of in the middle, the jailer. We keep coming back to him. One was spiritually open. One was demonically hostile. One was just indifferent, like I couldn't care less. What does it mean? This is just the most amazing story of how Luke has interwoven these three different people. And sometimes we can just read straight through it and we don't realise what he's doing in this moment. There would have been many, many more people that have come to faith, but he's picked three who are so incredibly different. This means that the gospel is for everybody. Or I'll put it another way, everybody needs the gospel. It's easy to think there are some people who are not the Christian type. There is no Christian type. It's rubbish. One of the things that I most love about our faith is that if you look at the spread of Christianity across the globe, it's basically about 20% in every continent, give or take. What that means is Christianity has been spread to every single people group on this earth. It's gone everywhere. It's not just located in one part of the world. It is everywhere. It's in every, every single place. There's no Christian type. It's not for the moral type or the broken type. It changes anyone. Here's why. Because if it's true, it's true for everyone. We live in a culture that says, well, do you know what? If it works for you, I'm so pleased for you. I have had that conversation so many times. I'm so pleased that you have this Jesus friend that sits on your shoulder. Um, Christianity wouldn't work for you unless what it says about Jesus and the resurrection and the world is true. It won't work for you unless it's true, and if it's true, then it will work for everyone. Do you know what? We're either massively deluded. <laughs> That's true. There's no middle point, is there? We've either got it completely wrong or we got it completely right. I'm going with the completely right. So there is no Christian type the gospel can change anybody. The gospel is for everybody. 
It's not for the rich, it's not for the poor, it's not for the middle class, it's for all of them. It's not for the ambitious, it's not for the messed up, it's for both. The gospel is for everyone because there is no such thing as a religious type. When you look at anybody in your life and you say, that person would never become a Christian, you're forgetting and you're violating the very principle that brought you to faith. Nobody is too far away from the Lord. Nobody. Everybody needs the gospel and Jesus died for everyone. Every single person. The second thing and my final point is that people will come to Jesus, they will come to faith in incredibly different ways. For some people it's rational, studying the facts, looking at books, looking at the Bible. For others it's a power encounter that God breaks into their lives and that we offer to pray for them and suddenly they experience the power of God. It's not, a, it's not a Bible study. God just goes, bang. Dave Kemp was telling me a story this week about going out with the youth and going out on, on the streets to pray for people. That um, Pete and the guys had bought a whole load of prophetic gifts. And so the, the youth go out on week four in order to just pray for people to see what God does. And so they bought these prophetic gifts and, and they'd gone up. They'd in his words, lots of people spoken to and prayed with. And um, David uh, and, the, and this boy met a woman on Albany Road and we explained what we were doing and I gave her one of the presents with a prophetic message on it. And she said it was spot on and asked us to talk for a bit. And after a pre- brief chat, she, she, she suggested we go and get a coffee. So we went to coffee once. So this all started from a gift that was bought So, sorry, just coming back to the prophetic gifts, it's the idea that you buy a whole load of gifts and then you pray about who God wants to give them to. So this was a gift that was prayed for in advance that was then given to this lady that then profoundly impacts her and she's like, we've got to go for a coffee and talk about this. That's amazing. And it's, I love it. Because isn't that the power of the gospel is that we sit here and we're like, how can God break in? God is breaking in if we're willing to get out there and do it. And then it gets even more amazing because... um, the boy that Dave was with suddenly was like, oh, I think my gift's for her as well. And he gives her his gift. And she's like, oh my goodness, that's so spot on. Just pre- <laughs> preached into her life. Power encounter. It's different, isn't it? How did you come to the Lord? Well, it's funny you should say that. Somebody gave me a prophetic present. <laughs> it's quite a story, isn't it? But isn't that amazing how God works in different ways? For others, they see something in your life and they can't explain it. This is like Paul and Silas, isn't it, in jail. Sometimes you'll just be living your way and somebody will just be like, I cannot explain the hope that you have or the peace that you found. I can't explain what's going on in your life. They're intrigued. I met a guy from Iran about two years ago in a cafe on City Road. And um, we were just sitting there and he came up to me and he started talking to me about Jesus it's like, oh, do, you, do, you, do you know Jesus? I'm like, well, I know a little bit about Jesus. <laughs> he told me that he'd had a dream about Jesus, that the Lord had broken into his life through a dream. He'd had a vision of Jesus. He was, he'd been a, a Muslim man, and the Lord had broken in through a dream, and he'd come to know Jesus. And there I was, sitting in a cafe in City Road. He, he'd had to leave Iran, he was out of Iran, he was in a cafe in City Road telling me about Jesus. <laughs> That's an amazing story. The point is, 
God can reach anybody at any moment. And so the whole point is that God, the gospel is for everybody. We've been talking about gospel fire. Just this image that I want to leave you with is just that fire spreading from person to person to person to person. That's what happened with the early church. Why does that have to stop now? If the Lord sets us alight in here, and when I'm talking about alight, I'm talking about with the gospel, that he implants it so deeply into our soul that we go out and we're just, and all we're doing is we're partnering with the Holy Spirit, which is what the book of Acts tells us about. Encounter after encounter, even just before this says, and they didn't go to a certain place and they went somewhere else because the Holy Spirit told them. The Holy Spirit's in charge. That's why suddenly I'm having this moment with Jesus, this encounter with Jesus just before we start. And I'm like, I've got to do something about that. We've got to pray for intercession. It's not in my notes. This is what it means to live a life full of the Holy Spirit. It's like we go with what Jesus is doing. It's exciting stuff. Who said the Bible's boring? Flipping awesome. Why don't you stand and we're just going to pray and finishing? <clears throat>